Oh, well, we are trying to take some time uh, this month just to, to look to God's Word, uh, to learn how to, to be rich, uh, to learn how to be rich, particularly in what uh, matters most. And, you know, God's Word has an awful lot uh, to say uh, about that. And our objective for, kind of for this series is very simple. Uh, we want us to, one another to learn how to be good at being rich. And if you're going to be rich, let's just go ahead and learn how to do it well, all right? Let's learn how to be good at being rich. And so I thought before we jump into the, this morning's teaching, I want to just make sure we kind of review. We kind of laid the foundation last week. So just a quick review. Uh, we talked about good news and bad news when it comes to this whole area of, of finances, of stuff, of being rich. The good news is that God has blessed me with more than I need and I am rich. God has blessed me with more than I need, and I am rich. And we readily admit, very most of the time, we don't feel rich, right? As we, we tend to compare ourselves to something else or someone else, or we see this or that or, or whatever it is. So a lot, and we're not talking about I feel rich, but that I am rich. And we're not denying that for some of us, perhaps right now, you're going through a tremendously uh, challenging season financially. You're just living under a great deal of pressure, perhaps, right now. But the, the reality is, as we step back, and we tried to kind of do it a little bit humorously last week, just to step back and remind ourselves that of the billions of people on this planet right now, of the billions and billions of people who have lived before us, we are rich. We are, we are so rich. And that's the good news. Well, the bad news, we said, is that there are some unique spiritual challenges that go with being rich. There are unique spiritual challenges because money does things to people. And we looked at some of the things that money does, but in our focal passage out of 1 Timothy 6, uh, we noticed two in particular, that there's a tendency toward arrogance when I have a lot of stuff and independence from God, and with that, some misplaced hope, and that we can find ourselves trusting in our stuff or our resources more than we're trusting in God. And so we, we introduced a key question that we're going to build on today, and the key question is, how are my finances shaping my heart? How are my finances shaping my heart? Because my finances are shaping my heart. And the key thought that we want to kind of lift up throughout this series is, I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. Now, regardless of whether I feel rich today or not, I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. And we talked about uh, how I can keep my heart and my hope from drifting is to engage in three things that 1 Timothy 6 talked about, doing good, being rich in good works, and being generous and ready to share. And we kind of summed it up with it's not primarily in the end about what I have, whether I feel like I have a lot or a little compared to somebody else. It's what I do with what I have that will count either for me or against me in the kingdom of heaven. And so as we, we kind of laid that foundation last week, I, I want us to press in a little bit more on this heart issue this morning. Uh, because what surprises a lot of folks the first time they discover it is when you go to the New Testament, when you go specifically to the teachings of Jesus, Jesus had an awful lot to say about money. And the fact is, those who kind of count these things, they have the, of the words of Jesus that we have recorded in the Gospels, he actually spoke more about money than he did heaven and hell. And I've always wondered, why is that? 
And I think at least part of it is he recognized uh, that there is this vital connection between our heart and our stuff, our heart and our money. And that the front lines of the spiritual battle for the, the kingdom of heaven and our tiny little kingdoms of self that we might try to establish is oftentimes fault on the front of money and our stuff. Let me give you two examples, both out of the Sermon of the Mount, both out of the same chapter in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 6. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there's where your heart is going to be. And then a few verses later, he's talked about the things we worry about and don't be anxious of all these things, and he kind of sums it up. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, notice that word, you cannot, not that you will not, you cannot serve God and money. There is a battle for your heart. There is a battle for the core of your being, and you cannot serve two kingdoms. As we look at the teachings of Jesus around this connection between money and heart, uh, we, we, we tell two things just kind of baseline. How we handle our money reveals our heart and it reorients our heart. It reveals our heart and it reorients our heart. Our, our treasure tends to follow what we treasure, right? We spend money on those things that matter to us, that we are attracted to, that we like. Uh, and so uh, if we went around the room, some of us were, would be our temptation to buy or accumulate or spend is maybe in certain areas because that says something about what we treasure in our heart. Some other things you say, and that doesn't really matter to me. I don't hardly spend a dime on that uh, because it's not something you treasure. It reveals our heart. But here's the other part of that, those verses that Jesus told us. It not only reveals our heart, but money has the capacity to reorient our heart. Not only does it reveal where my heart is, but where I send my money starts to direct my heart in that way. So that if, you, if you've ever invested in something, uh, maybe you invested in real estate or you invested in, in a particular stock or, or whatever it might be, maybe up until that point, you didn't have a whole lot of interest in that real estate, in that market or, or that particular stock. But once you sent your treasure there, once you started sending some of your money there, then you started to pay more attention. It started to kind of reorient your heart in that direction. How we handle our money reveals our heart and it reorients our heart. And so as we, we come to today, I just want to take the question we introduced last week and go one step deeper. The question was, how are my finances shaping my heart? Because my finances reveal my heart and they reorient my heart. But then the, the second kind of level question is, when I start thinking about specific behaviors, what's the heart connection? What is deeply within my heart underneath my financial behaviors? Uh, so whether I'm spending or saving or giving or, or whatever I'm doing with, with my stuff, what is deeply within my heart underneath 
those financial behaviors. So here's what I want us to learn this morning about being good at being rich. Being good at being rich is a matter of the heart before it's a matter of specific behaviors. It's a matter of the heart before it's a matter of specific behaviors. Now, there's this kind of synergistic relationship here uh, that just as money reveals our heart and reorients our heart, behaviors reveal our heart, but it also reorients our heart. So we're going to talk about, about some heart transformations and some behaviors connected to that. They flow out of a heart that's oriented that way, but they also fuel a heart that is oriented that way. So being good at being rich is a matter of the heart before it is a matter of specific behaviors. And what I want us to just rediscover or maybe discover for the first time this morning is something that God wants to do in each of our hearts. Four joy-filled transformations that God's grace wants to produce in us. And the choice of those words is intentional. Uh, sometimes when we start talking about some of these transformations, it's like, oh, should I feel guilty or, or, or that? Remember we talked about when we realized last week, I'm rich. It's not to make me feel guilty, but to make me feel grateful, right? To be grateful. These are joy-filled transformations that God's grace, God's life-giving grace, God's, uh, God's love-filled grace for you and for me wants to fuel in all of our lives for joy-filled heart transformations transformations that God's grace wants to produce in us. So we, we could go deep on any of these. I would recommend to you, I mentioned last week, uh, drawing on some uh, writings from two Harvard uh, MBAs. Uh, they've written a, a short book or around these four heart transformations called True Riches. If you want to go deeper, that'd be a great resource to check out along the way. But let me just introduce those four joy-filled transformations. The first one is from pride to gratitude. From pride to gratitude, that God wants to help us move from a heart posture of pride. Remember one of the spiritual side effects of money sometimes is arrogance. From pride to gratitude. A great example of this is in the Old Testament toward the end of King David's life. David was not a perfect man. We, we know uh, kind of the raw reality of his story. He was not a perfect man. But the scripture records him as, as a man after God's own heart. And toward the end of his life, he had this desire to build this temple. But God said that was not to be through him. It was actually going to be under the leadership of his son Solomon. And he said, I want to I make sure that I help set this up as well as I can. And so he gave just an abundance of resources and, and led the people to give an abundance of resources for the building of this temple under Solomon's leadership. And as, as that time of giving is there, he, he just offers this prayer. And it, it's a long one, so we'll put it up on the screen. Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. And he talks about, well, let me go back, he talks about both riches and honor come from you, and you 
rule over all. In your hand are power and might. And in your hand it is to make great and give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. For we are strangers before you, and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. O Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. Now, that's a tremendous prayer, and there's lots in that. And I remind you of the principle we introduced last week that, that accompanies this heart transformation. Every blessing that we don't turn into praise has the potential to turn back into pride. Every blessing that comes, every financial blessing, every job promotion, every, every great return on our investments, whatever it is, every blessing, not just the financial ones, every blessing that we don't turn into praise has the potential to turn into pride. And so the behavior that flows from a heart of gratitude, the behavior that fuels a heart of gratitude is we give thanks. We give thanks to God because we understand that God is the owner. That God is the owner and we see everything as a gracious, as a gift from his gracious hand. So David prayed, both riches and honor come from you. He recognizes all this abundance that we have provided for the building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. And so the first behavior that helps fuel this journey, this heart transformation, this joy-giving transformation it is a transformation from pride to gratitude. And it shows up as we give thanks. We give thanks to God, recognizing that he's the owner and that everything I have, even the beating of my heart, the breath of my lungs, uh, the skills, the talents, the abilities, the opportunities, it all comes as a gift from his gracious hand. And so I thank God. And as I thank God, that behavior fuels more and more that transformation from pride to gratitude. The first heart transformation is from pride to gratitude. The second heart transformation is from coveting to contentment. From coveting to contentment. This summer we looked at, uh, at some uh, often misunderstood uh, verses. One of those was Philippians 4.13 because it happens in the context of a lesson that Paul learned about contentment. He said, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned that whatever situation I am to be Content. It's something he had to learn. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That he, he learned contentment. Our world doesn't encourage contentment, right? 
In fact, is it encourages consumption. It encourages coveting. It encourages more. You need more. You need newer. What you have needs to be upgraded. All of these things, these are the messages that we are constantly bombarded with all of the time. And in that kind of environment, you and I have to learn how to be content. And we need the strengthening of God, that grace of God to fuel that transformation in our life. There are two key things that that help kind of contentment happen on a practical level for us. And certainly it grows out of the gratitude we just talked about. But the first is margin. The first is margin. And margin in the financial realm is just simply whatever I earn, I spend less than that. And it is such a simple concept, is it not? And yet, it is such a challenging one for us as a culture and Americans. Because we are constantly encouraged. Why wait? You don't need to wait. You need this now. And fact is, we will give you this little plastic thing and you can charge it. (laughs) And you can repay it over time. Which is like, okay, now let me get this straight. I haven't been able to save enough money to buy it now, but you're telling me that somehow I'm going to have enough money to pay for it plus interest in the future. Is that right? Well, maybe not. See, margin, without margin, I can't save. I can't save for something in the future. I can't prepare for an emergency. I can't save for college or retirement or weddings or whatever it is. Without margin, I don't have anything to give. I don't have anything to to give to direct my heart to the kingdom of God. And on the most basic level, regardless of what our income may or may not be, The first key to contentment is to practice margin, to practice margin, to to come to the point of saying, God, everything I have is a gift from your gracious hand. You're the owner of it all. You've given me this much in this season of my life to kind of exercise management and stewardship over. And so I am going to choose to live on less than what I have coming in. I'm going to choose margin margin. And then as God prospers you, and by the way, if you practice margin, you'll probably experience some prosperity there along the way, some, some uh, financial breathing room. Uh, but as God prospers along the way, uh, a second key is enough. It's just coming to a point and coming before God and saying, God, help me to understand when is it enough? Because as God, and, and for some of us here, God's prospered us, and, and you, have, you have like uh, you, this continuing level of income. It continues to rise. And our assumption is uh, the more I have in, then the more I should spend, right? Uh, that my spending should at least keep pace with my increase in uh, what I have coming in. But a follower of Jesus Christ has to wrestle with the question what is enough? What is enough? And maybe I'm going to cap my income, but maybe I'm going to cap my spending. Or above a certain level, I'm going to 
modify my spending and increase my margin? Maybe we need to ask the question, how much is enough to save for retirement or whatever it is? And again, our, our culture does not encourage that question. Our, cur- our culture's answer to the question, how much is enough, a little bit more. A little bit more. You have a little bit more. You need a little bit more. Spend a little bit more. You need to save a little, a little bit more. And so the behavior that flows from contentment, the behavior that fuels contentment is we spend modestly. We spend modestly. We recognize, we begin with margin, and then maybe we go to the point of saying, enough, enough along the way. I'm not going to continue to to indiscriminately increase my standard of living just because I have an increase in the income that I have. And so I learn to spend modestly and say, God, teach me margin. Teach me when it is enough. So God wants to move you and I from pride to gratitude, from coveting to contentment, thirdly, from anxiety to trust, from anxiety to trust. In that same Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus talked about the, the fact that we get so anxious over so many things, and he says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Anxiety. In the area of finances, it's something that probably all of us deal with somewhere along the way, right? And when it comes to anxiety, we tend to deal on one of two questions, sometimes both questions at the same time. What if I don't have enough for right now? And what if I don't have enough for the future? What if I don't have enough for right now, God? What if I don't have enough for for right now, for the demands of this moment, for the bills to pay, for whatever it might be? What if I don't have enough for right now? And then may we begin to dwell on, what if I don't have enough for the future? Whatever that is, a future emergency, a future expense that I know is coming, a retirement or whatever it may be. Now, please hear me. Uh, The Scripture teaches about setting aside stuff to saving stuff, all of that, absolutely. But at some point, we take that and we twist it because sin always distorts. And and we, we twist it. To the point where we just begin to be always anxious. Am I ever going to have enough? Am I going to have enough for right now? Am I going to have enough for the future? And we continue to have this, this anxiety. It's almost like the more we have, the more we feel like we need, and the more anxious we get along the way. That's why Paul, when he wrote to Timothy, this foundational passage we're building this series on, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And that's why we introduced the, the, the statement that he thought last week. I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. 
I will not trust in riches because if, I, if my trust is in riches, I'm always going to experience anxiety. Do I have enough for right now? Do I have enough for the future? But if I begin to trust more and more in him who richly provides, I seek first his kingdom and his righteousness And I watch as he brings all of these other things into alignment into my life. And so the behavior that helps fuel a movement from anxiety to trust, the behavior that reflects a movement from anxiety to trust, is we save modestly. We save modestly. In fact, is you might even, instead of the word modestly, put appropriately. Appropriately. Because at different seasons of our life, different levels of saving are appropriate. And so we we ask, God, what does it look like to save appropriately in this season of my life? Now, can I pause here for just a moment? And let's just recognize that we're probably all wired a little bit differently, all right? Some of us by nature, by the family we grew up in, by whatever series of factors, we, we, we tend to default toward being a spender, right? Uh, and we probably will struggle more with, with that coveting contentment heart transformation because there's always something. There's always something else to get. There's always a new thing. There's always something better or bigger or whatever it might be. Some of us tend to be more on the savings end of the spectrum. If we have a little extra money, our first thought isn't, what can I spend? But where can I tuck this away for, right? I've shared with some of you in the past, I grew up in a family of of financial folks. My my dad was an accountant. My sister's an accountant. Uh, My mom was a director of finance for the the city in which we lived. Uh, And so we were like talking these things all the time. And by that nature, I think we we tended to be more savers, right? that, that, That tends to be my natural death position, right? I, I've just, I've never really been a things person to accumulate tons of things, you know. Uh, just, uh, savings has been my, my default. And so where I need the Lord to continue to grow my heart is certainly the coveting and contentment. I'm not saying I don't struggle with that. Uh, but more so even this anxiety to trust, to make sure that I'm trusting in, not in riches, but in the one who richly provides. Now, now, to prove that God has a sense of humor, so often when we get married, God hooks up a spender and a saver, right? <laughs> you know, right? And some of you are looking at your spouse, uh-huh, uh-huh, all right, right now. And it very, it's, it very often happens that way. That's why some of our great marriage fights sometimes are over money, right? We save appropriately. We save modestly. So what is God up to? In my heart, through my finances, he wants to move me from pride to uh, gratitude. He wants to move me from coveting to contentment. He wants to move me from anxiety to trust. He wants to move you and I from indifference to love. From indifference to love. Jesus was asked about the greatest commandments, and he said that the greatest commandment is, is to love the Lord your God with all your being, your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And because of that, Timothy was, had these instructions from Paul. Tell those, command those who are in rich to be rich in good works, 
to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that for which is truly life. Then make sure, make sure that they operate not out of indifference, but out of love. And as we look at the New Testament, I think there are these three priorities that that ought to get our attention, particularly when it comes to the area of sharing our resources. In the New Testament, there are certainly more, but top three, save the lost, which would be evangelism. That which is taking the gospel to people with the, the hope and the idea and the prayer and the desire that they come to genuine repentance and faith. Save the lost through evangelism. Strengthen believers. We can call that discipleship. So we talk about that the investing of resources in that which builds up the body of Christ, which strengthens believers in their walk so that they can live on mission in a way that more and more honors and glorifies God. And then serve the poor. Serve the poor, a whole area of of mercy and justice. And you can't read the pages of Scripture without seeing God's heart uh, for the lost, for strengthening believers, and for serving the poor. Now, now please hear me on this, okay? We we give to a lot of different things. And some of you, you you may give to a school uh, to to help support education or or this organization or that organization. And we do those things and are blessed to be able to do them. But but here's, here's what I want. I want the priorities in our giving to reflect the priorities of God. I want to make sure that whatever God allows me to give There is a priority to saving the lost, strengthening believers, and serving the poor. And I think as a follower of Jesus Christ, if my heart is going to reflect his, my giving, which reorients my heart, needs to reflect those priorities as well. God wants to take you and I on this journey And the behavior that fuels this movement from indifference to love is we give extravagantly. We give extravagantly. And here's what what I found, and we'll probably touch on this uh, over the next couple weeks. Uh, Here's what I found. Not only are we most of the time horrible at understanding we're rich, but almost everybody thinks, I'm not rich, but I am generous, (laughs) right? (laughs) I'm not rich, but I am generous. And that would depend perhaps on your definition of generosity. Listen, I, I love that we do things like the shoe boxes and those sort of things, and I'm so excited. We'll have hundreds and hundreds of them go from this place all across the world. We've been a part of that for a number of years. Uh, but one, one of the things that sometimes bothers me, worries me, concerns me, whatever word you want to use about quote-unquote holiday giving is it can just about be enough generosity to inoculate us from the real thing. We can give just enough sometimes along the way to make us feel generous in our mind. And as you begin to lay it out in black and white, maybe not so much. And so that's why we use the term give extravagantly. Because most of us need to be stretched in this area along the way. So let's go back to the questions. 
How are my finances shaping my heart? How are my finances shaping my heart? Because there are behaviors that flow from my heart and there are behaviors that fuel and shape my heart. How are my finances shaping my heart? Are they being shaped toward coveting or contentment? Anxiety, trust. Are they being uh, fueled uh, toward uh, generosity uh, or indifference? Am Am I being fueled toward pride or toward gratitude? And one of the ways to evaluate that is to ask the question, what is deeply within my heart underneath my financial behaviors? I do what I do for a reason. What is deeply within my heart underneath my financial behaviors? Because being good at being rich is a matter of the heart before it's a matter of specific behaviors. Now, as we've trying to walk through this, we've kind of feel like, you know, there's, there's kind of a skeleton. There's some of these truths, there's some of these principles, but sometimes they're best fleshed out in somebody's story, in the life of somebody. And so last week, we, we introduced you to, to the doctor, the doctor who, who, who uh, kind of came to that point of saying, hey, this is enough. And I'm, I'm going I'm to work like a doctor and I'm going to live like a nurse. That, that was her way of, of trying to uh, help, help those finances shape her heart in the right way. I want you to hear one other couple's story uh, this morning uh, as maybe an encouragement, maybe a challenge to us along the way. So check out their story. I was at Earthlink for, for 10 years and while I was there... You know, Earthlink stock went public, and overnight, my stock stock options were you know several million dollars. I show up to work the next day, and there were um, uh, administrative assistants showing up. You know, in their new you know Audi TTs and uh, VP showing up in their you know new Mercedes Benzes, and I uh, came to work with my uh, my car. You know, the 91 Geo Metro. <laughs> Three cylinders. <laughs> I'm Tom, and this is my wife Bree, and we live in Pomona, California, which is a suburb of Los Angeles. It is the fourth largest city in LA County. It's bigger than Pasadena, uh, but it is also the second poorest city in LA County. So it's that's a lot of poverty over a large population. When I was in college, Isaiah 58 convicted me of God's love for the poor, and I felt like I didn't understand his heart for the poor, and I wanted to because I wanted to understand more of God's heart. And so because of that, um, I moved to Pomona, California, to the inner city, um, to work with the poor and see how God worked and what his love was like. When we were engaged and decided that we would live at or or below the medium household income level for the nation, um, we looked at our budget and we realized that one of the first things that was going to get impacted was uh, this honeymoon trip that we had been talking about, this overseas trip. What's amazing is a year later, we get a call from Target, and they said, congratulations, you've won our honeymoon giveaway sweepstakes. And they said, and you you registered for a telephone pan. Which we still have. Which we still have. And they said, that automatically entered you into the telephone Target 
give you know, honeymoon giveaway sweepstakes. What we won was a seven-day, all-expense-paid trip to Tuscany, Italy. It was really amazing. But what I remember from that time was um, Bree turning to me and saying, "This is God's confirmation that He will take care of us. That He will be generous, and He will give us more than you know than we can imagine." And that's been true. Growing up in the suburbs, I never really got to know many people. I never got to know my neighbors. People would drive their cars into their uh, garages and go in their house and come back out through their garages. And you know, I actually never saw anyone. And one day, Bree and I were walking down the street in front of our apartment, and two boys stopped us in the street, and they asked us if we knew the Bible. We said, "Yes, we do." And they said. Would you teach it to us and our friends? And we said, "Sure, yeah. Come to our apartment Wednesday at 5 p.m. You know where we live, and we'll teach you the Bible." And so they show up Wednesday, 5 p.m. with half a dozen of their friends. Every week they show up to study the Bible. I've never had that happen to me before in the suburbs, but in a place of, where there's a lot of darkness. Even the kids know, they feel that there's got to be something more. There must be something better, and we get to be a part of that light, be part of、um, shining God's light here in this neighborhood. Um, living in Pomona in the inner city gives us a lot of unique ministry experiences. There was a girl named Jenny. Um, who had, I had known for many years, and we invited her to live with us at the point when her life started to fall apart. Well, in the first month, she put on 10 pounds because she was just eating regular meals again and getting up at a normal time, getting to school. I went to the high school and got her transcripts, and she's still failing every class across the board. But in the remaining 12 weeks of school, she got all her grades up. She finished with A, Bs, and Cs. Uh, that year, as with you know, other years, you know, we continued to live on the medium household income level, which was about forty-five thousand that year. But、uh, on Jenny, we probably spent、uh, extra thirty thousand just on her. We saw Jenny's life completely change in twelve weeks, from being a very undernourished and depressed young girl to、um, really coming alive. And it was amazing that God would have us be a part of that transformation for her in her life. And I think we have to just believe, as people who follow Jesus, that our lives can make a difference、um, when we follow Him in what we're called to do. I I had heard from a good friend,、um, neighbors that we'd known for 15 years, that they were not living in their apartment anymore, and they were living in their mom's place. Um, with a heroin addict in the living room and the TV on all night, and I could see in the kids' faces that、um, their life was just crumbling and that they really weren't doing well because of the environment. Even though Irma's a great mom, Jerry's a great dad,、um, it just you, you can't really raise a family in a living room with、uh, people coming in and out and heroin needles all around. Ria and I started thinking. About the idea that maybe God was calling us to invite the Raylesses, Jerry and Irma, and their kids to to move in with us. It was amazing to be family together. 
and it was you know similar to when we had Jenny live with us. You know, the, the sense of family, her being part of our family, the, the power of family. When the Raylises left, you know, I knew there was emotional challenges for Cadence some of the time, right? Because she did lose some of her space and she did lose some of her toys. And I asked her afterwards, well, what, what did you learn? It was hard, but, um, but then, yeah, but if you let it happen, your heart gets bigger and there's more, and there's room for more people, so it's really worth it. People will come to Tom and I sometimes and ask how they live their lives um, radically or, you know, following Jesus um, in a similar way we do. And, and there's the one answer to that is you really have to ask Jesus what he's given you and what he's asking you to give away and what he's asking you to hold on to. So there's no a formula for what kind of life to live. There's only a listening to Jesus and a conviction. And all you have to do is ask how with what God's given you. Hope as you hear these stories, it's not for us to do exactly the same thing, but to learn. Now, I hope you heard the little girl that it's hard but as you lean into that, as you begin to move into that, God grows your heart. He transforms your heart. And what this couple said, what the doctor said last week was listen. Listen and do what it is that God would have you to do. Because in the end, in the end, being good at being rich is more a matter of the heart before it is a matter of specific behaviors. Good news. You and I are rich. <laughs> the challenge is, how are those riches shaping our heart? And what can we do with what God has entrusted to us in this season of our life to allow him to transform our hearts? And just maybe transform the lives of other people. Let's go to the Lord together in prayer, please. Oh, Father, how we thank you that you have blessed us with such abundance. And Lord, we, we do not take that for granted. We do come today and, and give you thanks. Thank you uh, for all that you have poured out, and we recognize that you are the owner and everything that we have, including the opportunity to be here in this precise moment, is a gift from your gracious hand. And Father, we ask you, Lord, to take us on a journey of heart transformation that blesses us, that glorifies you, that impacts the lives of others now and for eternity in positive, powerful ways. Father, teach us how to be good at being rich. And I'm just going to invite you just to be still in the presence of the Father for just a few moments more in this service.